We're going to continue in our mission series. Uh, the last three weeks, we've been talking about mission, mission of the church, mission of CTK Sun Valley, and overall mission of Big C Church, like capital C Church. And um, I was actually warned kind of going into this uh, message. Every Monday morning, I meet with five or six other pastors, and we get together and just encourage each other. We kind of lead each other through the things that we're going through in life, and and, uh, and pray for each other and, and even come together on some sermon ideas. Well, I shared with the group that I was preaching on mission for a few weeks, and they said, whoa, like, that, I, I, man, I, I, I don't desire picking up a whole sermon series on mission because it's tough to be fresh. It's tough to be new. It's tough to come up with uh, new material. And, um, and I tell you what, I, I want to encourage you, if you didn't hear the last three weeks, you, you, you get a, a good glimpse of where we focus as a church. Uh, also encouragement of where uh, God leads you as an individual in your mission, uh, and also uh, the mission of the entire church. And so for us, I, over the last three weeks, I've just had just amazing revelation of God just kind of directing my words in, in the writing of these messages and the, in, in the focus that I've had, which has been incredible for me, and I've, and I've loved it. And so it's been opposite of what I was warned to, like the woe of preaching mission. Um, and my hope is this morning he does the same thing for us. And so my thought is I had way too much material, so uh, I, I pared it down. We are going to get out on time today. Um, but I pared it down in that next week, I think we'll do a now what? So we've looked at the, the we've walked through our mission statement with four different points that are within our mission statement. And for us, um, uh, our mission hasn't changed as a church. We started the church 10 years ago around our dining room table, and the mission of our church hasn't changed. And so, uh, and, and over the last few weeks, I've started off with some funny stories. You can go back and listen to uh, how horrible I did in high school with my grades. You can go back and listen to uh, the, the love stories of my childhood and, and, and relating love and how we relate love to, that, to, our, to our lives. Um, and the humor, I, I started uh, the other week off with some humor, some dad humor in there. And so, but this week, I want to start off with, um, with our takeaway. So I'm going to tell you what I hope to, for you to take away today, this morning, right off the bat, and uh, in hopes that as we get through our message, we, um, we, we, we have that on our minds, and we're led in this journey as God leads us through this. And so, like I said, our mission here at CTK Sudden Valley hasn't changed in the 10 years that we've done it. But even more than that, the mission of the entire church, uh, the mission of the entire church uh, individuals in capital C, as I call it, the bigger church in general than the world of uh, the world church, ha the mission of that church has not changed. Our clear marching orders are in Scripture, and the direction and the calling that we have has not changed. And we get together on Sunday mornings, and um, and we we can get together and discuss this stuff. We can sing some songs, the outlooks. Uh, we can restate the mission over and over. We can, um, we can look at uh, the ideas and, and even, you know, do it in creative and fresh ways. But uh, until, until we get out and do it, um, it, it, it isn't effective. And so this morning, I've got, a, I've got a simple analogy for us in that in 2019, our basement flooded. 
of our old house, our basement flooded. Uh, Avery came home from a soccer game, and she ran downstairs to take her soccer clothes off, and she stepped on the carpet, and water came up from underneath the carpet. And I thought to myself, man, the foundation of our church like split open and water came up from the ground and flooded our basement. Because if it, the, Avery's room was kind of in the middle. It wasn't, I mean, it was crazy. That's, my mind immediately went there. Um, but what had happened was uh, my hot water tank had burst. And so our, my hot water tank was not nestled nicely in the garage, away from living space and easy access. It was nestled in a closet in the bottom downstairs basement in the back corner of that closet uh, through bedrooms and everything. So it's down on the bottom floor. And it had burst and leaked and flooded our entire basement. And that night, I had a, a handful of guys showed up with buckets and towels and fans, and, and we cleaned out that basement. Uh, and, and that was the first time that I had ever experienced a hot water tank incident. And so uh, my uh, buddy Charles uh, and Adam came over. Uh, but before that, I had jumped on YouTube, and I had watched some videos, and I had, um, I had uh, read on different brands, Consumer Reports, and all that kind of stuff to prepare myself for, for replacing my hot water tank. Uh, and Adam and Charles came over and hung out for most of a day, and, uh, and we did it. And, and uh, since that day, since that day, I have replaced five hot water tanks, okay? So that's two and a half years, maybe three years, I've replaced five hot water tanks. I did my buddy Don's with him, and then Don and I got together and did Carol's, who's watching online this morning, and then did some other ones, and then last week I finished what was my fifth hot water tank replacement for a lady who lives in Canada but has a home here in Sudden Valley, and her tank burst while she was away, and she couldn't get across the border, and it, anyways... So, but I say that because, um, because what we do here on Sunday mornings, we get together and we talk about Jesus and we, we sing some songs um, and, uh, and, uh, and it's all a part. Maybe you serve to, so that others can uh, get to know Jesus. But like that hot water tank, uh, if we, we have to get out and do it in order to know that we can do it. So I, that first time I did it, I actually observed most all of it, and I wasn't hands-on on any of it, but I watched these guys come to my house and help me, buddies of mine, help me do it. And, um, and, and, and I tell you what, we could, we could have formed a committee on hot water tank replacement. We could have sat down, uh, Charles and Adam and Don and I, and all of us could have sat down and talked about, you know, specifics on how we're going to replace that water tank and uh, and and, and what, we, what steps we should take to accomplish it. We could talk about the efficiency of the hot water tank I purchased. We could talk about the, the brand of the hot water tank that I was using. And, or we could talk about, like, let's go on demand. Let's go small tank on demand hot water, right? Or let's get one that's Wi-Fi, you know? Um, we could have talked about, we could have talked about how much of a blessing it is to have hot water at the house. Like, Oh, it's an amazing blessing for us. We could have invited other people to come in on the replacement of the hot water tank, uh, a group of guys getting together. But until, until I actually got out and did it, until I actually put my hands on it and replaced this hot water tank, I didn't know that I could do it. And I didn't know that that was actually something that, was, that I was capable of. And not a lot would get done if we just sat down and talked about it. 
And we've been looking at this mission uh, over the last few weeks, and I want you to hear that this morning, that uh, the, the idea of talking about mission uh, is, is talking about it, but until we get out and actually do it and actually live out the mission of the church, um, it's not very effective. We could have the clearest idea of it or even some of the wittiest comments and takeaways and uh, even scripture to support it, but until we actually get out and do it, um, it's not very effective. And so this morning, uh, I'll just read through the whole mission for starters, but we're going to be focused on the end. Our mission is to create authentic Christ-centered communities. We talked about that four, three weeks ago, being centered on Christ uh, and to love God wholeheartedly. I, ha I, I talked with somebody yesterday who said, man, I was just moved by that message of the wholeheartedness and, and devotion to God, uh, and uh, uh, to love God wholeheartedly, and to reach out intentionally. Last week we talked about that, reaching out. We all are in need of God. Uh, even those that are far from God need God. Even those that seem to be closer, maybe attending church and all that, we all need God. Reach out intentionally so that others experience a new life in Jesus. And today is a transforming life of discipleship. And I tell you what, I, I don't know about you, uh, but that word discipleship comes with a lot of confusion and like, what is discipleship? What do we do? Um, and so over these last weeks, we've looked at these, these ideas of the mission. And so this morning, I want us to look at that idea of discipleship being a way of life. And it helps us to focus on the rest of the mission and what we live out in our life, but discipleship specifically being a way of life. How many of you, show of hands, and you can raise your hand at, at home, but you probably won't, I don't know. How many of you have got discipleship all figured out? You're like, man, I know exactly what is needed to accomplish this. So Price does. Good job. Price has got it figured out. That's why he's leading worship. Um, and, uh, and you're preaching next week, too. Um, no, but, but here's the deal. It, 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 is a, it is a confusing idea, but what I want, what, if, what we focus on today, I want it to allow us to, to live that out in our lives, the mission that we've talked about over the last few weeks, as well as today, this idea of, 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 of the way we live our lives is living out the mission. If you've been around church for any sort of period of time, you've probably heard the words edit, uh, echoed that Jesus said in the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, where he called his disciples and said, follow me. He said, follow me. He said, come and see at some points, and he said, follow me. And these people stopped, and they followed Jesus. Jesus called those people his disciples, right? And that was the invite that he had extended to them. In the first century, uh, even outside of Jesus's ministry, there were disciples. There were people that uh, were religious leaders at the time or, or philosophical leaders that had disciples, right? In, in the modern church, we still continue to use that word disciple and then kind of like, I think kind of skate over it and don't, you know, choose maybe not to define it or choose to be like, oh yeah, yeah, discipleship, you know, or disciple. Um, it, it, but what we've done is, is in almost every case, we use the word as a verb. So we're posing the question and the idea that sounds more like, uh, are you being discipled? Are you being discipled? Answer yes or no. Or, or the idea of, who are you discipling? And so we use it as a verb, like, uh, and, 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 and what's different 
uh, is that usually for us, that means, uh, you know, we've conjured it up as this idea of one-on-one -on -one relational connection, probably over, you know, the newest book or the oldest book, the most you know, meaningful book, the Bible, and we're going to sit down and talk over this book one-on-one. -on -one. We're going to maybe even do it at Woods Coffee with a fancy coffee drink, or maybe it's a group of two or three of us that are really in-depth in answering life's questions. And, and, and don't get me wrong, because that is actually some of the most effective ministry that happens in a church, where believers sit down together and discuss God's will, God's direction, where God's leading them, where we... Uh, you know, where we uh, work alongside each other to support and encourage and all that. That's where some of the greatest work of the church happens. But it just isn't the way that discipleship is used, particularly in the Bible, most of the time. Uh, I tried to find a, an instance, and I'm sure somebody will come up with one, and I would love to have you email me instances in the Bible where it's actually used as the idea of a, of a verb like discipling and discipled. But uh, most of the time in the Bible, uh, it's an instance, it's used as a noun. It's used as the idea of identity, somebody's identity, somebody who, uh, who, uh, who takes that on themselves as an identity of who they are and how they live their life. Biblically, uh, you would live under someone's teaching. Uh, a rabbi uh, in the first century, or Jesus was, uh, was a rabbi that had disciples. And so, um, so it's, it's, it's an identity that they would take on. Most cases, it referred to people as disciples, not people who were being discipled or those that were discipling others. It was used as a noun that described who they were. And uh, for us, similar to the idea, if you go back to the water tank, uh, uh, if I wanted to go into real business of replacing hot water tanks, I would have to get a plumbing certificate of some sort and spend some time or electrical, uh, 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 an electrical license of some sort and spend some time, got some buddies who are electricians, as an apprentice. That's the closest thing I think we have to the idea of discipleship is an apprentice to someone. And that in itself is a title as well, right? Following the codes and procedures of the, the electrical uh, book and code. I know my dad has to renew his electrical license as a sign maker, and you have to follow those rules. And now what Jesus did that rocked the boat in his time is how he called his disciples. Uh, he invited people to follow him and to leave what they were doing, to come and see, to follow him with no rhyme or reason as to who he was calling, except for there seemed to be one thing that was common. In most all cases, who Jesus called didn't as culturally or didn't uh, self-identify as somebody who was qualified for the job. Like, I've put in my time, and I've done the studying, and now I am going to be uh, a disciple because of what I have done to earn this spot. And that's what's different of, of, if you look at the first century disciples of even religious leaders and rabbis at that time, they went through, like, 
rigorous courses. Even it's, it's referenced in the Old Testament that they went through dietary things where they had to eat only this certain foods and all this kind of stuff in order to achieve the status of becoming a disciple of what you would hope be the elite of the rabbis at that time. You would want and desire as a young kid to become uh, worthy of studying under somebody who was a rabbi who would then take on disciples. And it's funny because that's not how Jesus did it, but yet still, we have numerous cases in the Bible where even those disciples that Jesus called, what did they do? They often argued about who was the greatest. And I think for us, I think we can relate to that idea of talking about or even focusing on our qualifications to or and or achieving some certain procedural thing or some certain map of specifically what being a disciple or discipling or discipled uh, means. Jesus was a first century rabbi that had disciples, and we instantly think of, with Jesus, the 12, right? Jesus had 12 disciples. But more than that, Jesus had actually an inner circle of three disciples— uh, and then he had a larger group of 72 disciples. And then what Scripture tells us and what people lead us to believe is that he actually had thousands. People that he taught crowds and people that would follow him city to city. The thousands also identified themselves as disciples. And Jesus, in numerous cases, invited people into that, called, uh, called some of the early disciples from their life and from their families to follow him. Uh, but not only that— People just had heard and seen what he was doing and then entered into the fold of being a disciple of Jesus. And for me, I remember uh, I came to know the Lord at 18. Uh, I wasn't raised in the church, uh, but found Jesus uh, through uh, Young Life, which is a ministry that's done through the high schools, uh, still to this day really big up here in Whatcom County. Um, and I, and I accepted Jesus for the first time at Malibu camp up in Canada. And, uh, but I remember I was like eight, right out of high school, I took a job at Costco. I think it was like 19 or 20. Uh, there was this guy, and I was the singing forklift driver at Costco. So beep, beep, beep. And I would just sing the songs that were on the radio loud, and I always had a lot of joy. And you would think at that time, accepting Christ at 18, maybe 20 years old is what I was. I would think that identified myself as like a disciple of Jesus. Like I was trying to follow Jesus to the best of my ability. But there was this guy, Richard was his name, and one day we're walking out from Costco after we'd clocked out for the shift, and Richard looked at me and said, I'm going to disciple you. And I was like, whoa. You know, here's this older guy. I didn't know him all that well, but I think I knew that he knew Jesus, and he knew that I knew Jesus. And, and I, was, I was actually put off by that because— what, what happened in that instance, and what I even came to know as to be more truth than that, is he felt he had something that only he could give me. And oftentimes we can approach that way as well. We, we think that we have something that, that we can give to people that only we would be able to give to them. And in this case, Richard uh, thought that under his tutelage, I would actually uh, get something that I couldn't get anywhere else. And so he was going to tell me that I was going to be his disciple. I was turned off by that. He ended up not discipling me. But I say that because uh, Jesus is the only identity to which we are disciples of. 
that w- even, even as we, you know, figure out and define discipleship of, like, meeting together with guys and discussing things, like, the identity isn't, uh, the identity isn't that, um, that I follow, I'm a disciple of Josh, or I'm a disciple of Ben, or I'm a disciple of Charles in the hot water tanks, or whatever it may be. No, it's like, the only identity that we have is a disciple of Jesus, coming under his teaching and his direction in our life and his leading in our life. He chooses us. And and then we experience the change of identity as a follower of Jesus, as a disciple of Jesus. And I love that in the Bible, in numerous cases, Jesus calls some of his disciples. Jesus calls Simon, and then he changes his name to Peter. His new identity becomes Peter. Jesus calls Levi, the tax collector, to follow him, to be his disciple, and Levi becomes Matthew and and becomes a disciple in this new identity of Jesus. So what we're going to do is we're all now going to pick new names. No, I'm just kidding. We're not going to do that. Um, I just want to make sure you guys are all still with me. Um, but uh, Jesus is the identity that they take on to create a newness. And we've talked about that a lot. We're new in Christ every day. The old is gone and the new is here. But, but what the takeaway is with the disciples and what Jesus is calling for each one of us is that discipleship starts with being with Jesus. Discipleship doesn't start with getting together with somebody and discussing one-on-one uh, life and in, 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 in the, in the struggles and all that kind of stuff. Discipleship at its core, core starts with being with Jesus. Not with Jesus only in knowledge, which is part of it. Understanding and knowing scriptures, understanding and walking through your Bible and, and knowing the truth, that's part of it. It's not, uh, it's not of authority. It's not following Jesus under his authority, although that is part of it as well. Allowing the, 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 the lessons and the direction of Jesus to have authority in your life and lead you to make the decisions you need to make is part of that idea of being a disciple of his but more than that, and, 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 and for us, we, 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 uh, in being with Jesus, it, it, it's entering into an intimate relationship with him. Being with Jesus. It's where we said, shed the formality of a title. Um, nothing stirred the religious leaders more than how Jesus addressed God. So the religious leaders of that time in the first century uh, just were like besides themselves that Jesus would call God his father. And he would address God the way he did with the, the, for them, informality, but for Jesus more relationally. And for us, in, in, in that word that's used in scripture is actually Abba. Abba, Father. Jesus referred to God as as Abba. And I'm convinced that we actually don't have, like a lot of things, it's hard for us to totally comprehend the way God works, but I feel we don't have a, a word that rightly describes 
Jesus' relationship with the Father when he was walking on earth in his ministry. When he was, when he was, when he was walking this earth and teaching and healing and, and performing the miracles, Jesus referred to God as Abba, and I don't think we have an equivalent to that. I heard it put this way by a, a pastor I was listening to the other week, where uh, the word Abba is actually an Aramaic word that is untranslated to the Greek. So they just continued to use the word Abba because they didn't have a translation of that word. And, and, and this guy that I listened to said that it's actually the equivalent of calling, uh, of a toddler calling uh, his dad, Dada, or, or Daddy, right? And I, I happen to know my dad's turning in, hi, Dada. Like, that's weird, right? You'd be like, if I always referred to my dad as Dada, you guys would be like, ooh, I don't know, I think Jason's a little off in the brain. Maybe we need to find a new church, right? But, but, but that, and that's the connotation to that, and that's why that's not even the best description of that. But the intimacy that Jesus calls the Father is, is amazing in, in the relationship that he calls into that. And here's the deal. I struggle with that. I struggle with uh, relating to that, displaying that, receiving that, understanding that, living in and under and in that intimacy of being a disciple. And I think that that's why when I said, hey, how many of you got disciple figured out, discipleship figured out, where we're all like, ah, I don't know. It's a level of intimacy that I don't think this side of heaven we can fully grasp and understand. Because I walked through it with formality and the idea of performance and what's expected of me as a disciple, the level of commitment, although uh, it might be wavering on my end and, and the consequences of what that wavering is and the respect and authority that's in there. Like, those are the things that I kind of grasp onto and I can't really always relate to the intimacy of disciple. And I think it's that 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 idea, that understanding that Jesus addressing the Father in that intimate way to that relational call, the love of a Father, that's discipleship. Understanding that. If you've known me very long as, uh, at all, uh, I shy away from the title as, as pastor. I fully, I fully receive it because God has God has directed me in it. I didn't desire it, and God led me into it, and now we're doing it together. But oftentimes, if I meet you for the first time, I'm not quick to share, oh, I'm, I'm, I'm Pastor Jason, you know? No, I'm Jason, or if you know me long enough, I'm dog meat, right? Like, that's, oh, you can call me dog meat if you want, or I call you dog meat, I don't know. Like, it, it, and for me, it's, it, it's, it's a humorous defense mechanism. So uh, for me, I just try to break down the barriers and be relational. But I tell you what, I don't always go there with God. And I desire to because I know that that actually is the route of which that God is calling us to. And I think we have to, we have to battle this formality of discipleship, of being a disciple of Jesus in order to realize the unconditional love of a father, the unconditional love of, 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 of what it means to run to and through I run towards and, and directly into being a disciple. The formality is a rigorous track that we attach 
to uh, our relationship of, of an authoritative God, of which is actually kind of easier to understand and relate to, and we ask of the performance and the connection and entering into a relationship with him, and that relationship, oftentimes, for me at least, I connect it to the feeble attempt of, of uh, or the broken attempt of relating God to uh, an earthly understanding of a father. And whether you have the greatest father on the planet and you're blessed with a father that's there for you today, yesterday, and he's going to be there for you tomorrow, it's still an incomplete idea of how we should view God our father. Highly incomplete. Even if you've got the most amazing dad in the world. Dad, you're pretty cool. Dada. Um, but, but, when we relate that earthly understanding to it, it's incomplete in our understanding. I think it's hard for us to then enter into that level of discipleship, to being a disciple, and it barely scratches the surface of what, of what he desires for us. The end of probably, I think, one of the greatest sermons ever preached, the Sermon on the Mount in Matthew 5 through 7. Um, I've toyed with just, let's just read the Sermon on the Mount one Sunday morning. Um, Jesus was teaching a thousands of people on a grassy hill, and he was a projector. He could preach without a microphone. They didn't have, you know, the, the streaming setup that we got today. But, uh, but I wonder, actually, if even the majority of those people had entered into and under the idea of disciple, what it meant to be a disciple. But he says these words to these people who, some of them, a good majority of them, had gone out and preached in his name, that they had actually healed people, that they had actually uh, delivered people from demons. Like, that's some big stuff. Like, I haven't cast out many demons in a while, right? Like, that's some big stuff that we're going on. And all these people, and he's teaching these people and, uh, and he says these words, and this is what, what shook me to my core this week. In Matthew 7, 21 through 23. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven. But the one who does the will of the Father who is in heaven, on that day many will say to me, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name? Did we not cast out demons in your name? And do many uh, mighty works in your name? And then I will declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you workers of lawlessness. And I thought about that. And I thought about, like, the idea of performance and even a, a, a method of which we are to be discipled or disciple others. The formality of life, the, the achievement of life often is where we focus, but it's saying here that that relationship, in many of the cases of people who were doing amazing things in the name of Jesus. And in the final moments, Jesus will say, I never knew you. Like we never had that intimate relationship that I desired for you, that I wanted for you to have with me. And that's where my struggle lies because in that I know that I'm missing out. And I'm not getting all that God desires for me. We have to enter into that relationship with Jesus. We have to know Jesus and be known and share with 
Jesus. We have to not allow our, our construct of our life infiltrate the design that the Creator has for us. Like the way that we constructed our lives to be how we view Jesus. We talked about that a, a couple weeks ago in the idea of giving your heart to other things rather than giving your heart to Jesus, right? Giving your hearts and passions to your work or to uh, achievement or to, uh, you know, other sinful envy and desire and, and jealousy and, and those things in your life. When we give our portion of our heart over to that, we aren't giving it fully to God and entering into that relationship with him. In John 6, verse 28, it says this. Then they said to him, what must, this is the disciples, and so the disciples are saying, I think it's the disciples at least, or maybe it's the religious leaders at that time, we mu what must we do to be doing the works of God? And Jesus answered them, this is the work of God, that you believe in him who he has sent. So they're saying, what work must I do? Like, what must I achieve? What must I accomplish? How must I uh, live my life in this order or that order? And Jesus says, the work of God is that you believe in him who he has sent, that you believe in Christ. Not let something else capture that, not allow God, uh, but to allow God to enter kind of into the deep marrow, the deep bones of your body and allow him to infiltrate all of who you are. And I tell you what, friends, that is the biggest barrier we have to being a disciple. Right? That is the biggest barrier we have to being, disciple, to being a disciple. It is not, as oftentimes I feel the way that it, it is not whether or not the church has a program for you to be discipled in. Well, the church doesn't have a group that fits me, or the church doesn't have a, uh, you know, somebody who's like me, or people that are, that's not the big, the biggest barrier to being a disciple is believing in Christ. Believing who he is at the core and what he desires for you in your life. That is the biggest barrier. It's not whether we have people who, uh, you know, share the same uh, hobbies as us, and then we enter into a relationship with them, and then we, we, we you know, whether they're on the same ground as us uh, in our understanding of, of religion and, 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 and what discipleship is, and whether or not we meet together on a regular basis over a book, how to be men, or, or, or the Bible, or whatever. That's not the barrier. The barrier is our belief The barrier is an intimate relationship. It's, it's believing. It's, and it's not, it's not the knowing. So I don't want you to hear when I say believe, it's not like uh, knowing. Believing because you know truth. The word actually here used is pisteo, which is an active word in belief as in trust, in entrusting in rather than knowledge of. Does that make sense? So it's, it's, it's a belief in actively uh, trusting or, 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 or if you want to do the double negatives that my wife hates when I do, it's actively not believing, <laughs> not believing something else. Not not believing something? I don't know. Anyways, um, it's, it's, it's actively not believing in something other than God. 
It's entrusting in him and not in allowing some other voice, some other situation, other circumstances win in our, uh, in our, in our lives, in our intimacy, in our heart, as we talked about a few weeks ago. Disciple is to find that place in space where we actively live in the Abba, the Father, the, the Dada, uh, the love that he has for us. And we have to find our identity in that. Right? And, and I have but maybe at best one profound thought a week. And this is the one that kind of came to me. It's this idea of it's, it's, it's to find the identity. So you got to pay attention because this is all I got. Um, find, I was, that's what I was saying that. Like I get one. Um, and maybe it was earlier for you and this is just what hit me. But find the identity that you can't earn because it was freely given. Find the identity that you can't earn because it was freely given to you. The identity to fall under the Father and his love for us. It's not disciple, discipleship, being discipled, discipling isn't 12 steps. It isn't uh, a six-week program. It isn't a page you can turn. It isn't a certificate that you can earn and frame and put up in your room. Right? It's a life lived. It's a, it's a journey walked. It's a partnering with. It's a following close. It's a fully devoted to. And it's a love that never changes based on our continual wandering. Based on our, uh, it's a love that doesn't change based on our acting out. It's a love that doesn't lessen uh, as we blame and even distance ourselves from the Father where we blame him for something that's happening and something that's going on in our lives. It's a love that doesn't, ba- that, that doesn't grow based on our performance. When Peter gets his new name, and it's kind of curious because there's like two fishing stories in the Bible, and, and the second fishing story when Peter's in the boat, but, but uh, when Peter gets his new name, he then gives Jesus a new name in his life. And he calls him Lord. Like, be Lord. And he says it in a way that it's not like authoritative. It's like, I see you. Lord, you are my Lord. You are everything. Simon becomes Peter, and then to Peter, Jesus becomes Lord. And I want to be honest with you this morning because... I share all of this with you, and it comes at a great cost. Disciple, the idea of this, I, this end of our mission statement comes at a great cost. It's quite high. And the, the path to being a disciple is heavy and, 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 and costly. But the freedom that comes comes from the cost of Jesus' sacrifice on the cross for each one of us. And the cost, I say it's costly because the cost is the same for us. The cost is to give up our life to be a disciple. Give our life over to the call that Jesus extends to follow me, as he says. To come and see. And it comes at the revelation. And so for 
for you, you can probably look back over your lives, or maybe you haven't had that moment with God in a while, or maybe at all, but you can look back over your life where God gives you a revelation. And I, revelation is even kind of a Christian word. A, 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 a new look on something. So God's working on you in your attitude towards your wife, or your overall outlook on life and purpose, uh, or, uh, or the idea of Jesus being your Savior. You get this new outlook on what that means to you. And that's what I say when I say revelation. You see God in a new way in some circumstance in your life. And when we, when we do that, that is the act of that relational aspect of allowing ourselves to see, to, to have God speak to us in that way, a revelation, a new idea on how we are to live our life. And that could come from, it could come from a song we sing. It could come from, uh, you know, something I say from the front. It can come from a book you're reading. But this idea is, is come to this new revelation of who God is in your life. And in doing that, when we do that, then we're faced with the cost. And the cost is to sacrifice our old outlook, our old idea of whatever it may be, whether it is the overall example of our life, sacrifice that I'm living for myself, now I'm actually living for the one who saved me, my Savior. Uh, I'm, I'm actually, when I'm married, I did, that, I did a wedding yesterday, and, and the sacrifice that happens there, I'm no longer living for myself. I'm, I'm actually called to live my life for my wife. There's a sacrifice there and a new revelation. And the cost is for us to sacrifice, and just as Christ sacrificed for us. And then after that sacrifice, then comes the freedom of celebration. The celebration of choosing a new way in our life, a new way forward, entering into a deepening relationship with our Father. And it's, and it, for me at least, and maybe you can relate to this as you look back over your life, there's been moments of just sheer joyous celebration of what God has revealed to you. It's a dangerous pray to prayer, but, prayer to pray, but you can pray for that. A new revelation and then a celebration for that new life, but that's, that's what the, the, the kind of journey of discipleship is. And for us, the greatest goal is to not uh, arrive at knowing it all, but that to continue to see the new revelations in our lives over and over. No one disciple in the Bible ever arrived at all of the knowledge, and sorry to break this to you, but there's never a, an, an end exit point where you arrive at knowing and understanding everything that God has for you. But we continue to have new revelations of what God is leading us into a deep and intimate understanding. And that's found in that new love. And church, the greatest goal is that we wouldn't, uh, we wouldn't arrive, but that we would continue to see the revelation in our lives, that, the, that we would give up the old, and I, I say this just because I like to rhyme, give up the old so we can celebrate the gold, the value that God has for us in our lives. Which, this brings us, which then brings us back to the very beginning of our message. The takeaway. That we might see discipleship as a way of life. 
Jesus often in his ministry sent the disciples. He sent them out to heal. He sent them out to pray. He sent them uh, out to reach people, right? Jesus did that. And in one of the greatest commissions in the Bible, the greatest commission in the Bible, he actually says, I, his final words, the last words on earth, he leaves with us, and he says, uh, he says, I send you out. And it, it's in Matthew, Matthew 28, 16 through 20. It says, now the 11 disciples went to Galilee to the mountain to which Jesus had directed them. And when they saw him, they worshiped him. And in that moment, we see that some worshiped and some doubted. And so my, my question for you is, do you see, when you see Jesus, because he's all around, he's in Mr. Peabody illustrations, and he's in, uh, you know, he's in the, the, the glorious, amazing backdrop we have of Whatcom County. He's in the, the orchestration of bringing your family together. I mean, he's everywhere. When you see Jesus, do you worship or do you doubt? When they saw Jesus, some worshiped. And Jesus came to them and said, All authority in heaven and earth has been given to me. So he's saying, I'm above all and through all and in all things. Therefore, go and make disciples. Go and make disciples. Notice the words there. He doesn't say, go and disciple people. Go and make sure you're discipling. Go and, uh, and allow somebody to disciple you. He says, no, go and make disciples. Biblical definition of disciple is to be an apprentice of Jesus, to fall under his teaching. Go and make disciples. And this is where it kind of gets defined for us. All, and then it says, uh, go, therefore go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, teaching them. Often what we do is we connect discipleship to teaching. When really, if we read it the, the other way, uh, all authority in heaven and earth has been given to me, therefore go and teach all nations, baptizing in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, and then teach, like, that's, there's becoming a disciple of Jesus, and there's teaching, and yeah, they're, they're together, and they're part of it, but they're separate. Falling under the idea of being a disciple. To observe all that I have commanded to you, and behold, here it is, I am with you always to the end of the age. He is with us. He is with us in uh, in our most troubled times. He is with us in our joyous times. He is with us right now. He is with you on Monday afternoon at 1.15. He is with you on Thursday at 9 a.m. He is, he is with you always. And at the very beginning of this, disciple, becoming a disciple, discipleship starts with you being with Jesus. And so I want to encourage you with that this morning, that as we end this series on mission, where we've looked at our mission statement, that we have a transforming life of discipleship, a transforming life of continuing to fall under Jesus as his disciples. I'm going to invite the band to come forward, and I'm going to close us in prayer. God, I thank you that you actually ask us 
to enter into the most intimate relationship with you. That you are there waiting for us to trust and enter into that relationship, Lord. Lord, as we discuss the idea this morning of being a disciple, may you open our hearts to an understanding of what that call is on our lives. I am confident, and your scripture says so, that your desire is for us to be your disciple. To fall under your teaching and, and tutelage and, 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 and way of life, but to do it in the most intimate and relational way. I thank you that you are a relational God that continues to meet us where we're at, but that you also continue to call us to far greater things than we would ever understand, Lord. And so may that be our motivation to enter into trusting you more and allowing you to work, Lord. I pray this in your name. Amen. Amen. Let's worship.